welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello, and welcome to episode 168 of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. It's Jessica. How's everybody doing? It's been a great week around here, and I cannot wait for you to dive into today's episode. I'm speaking with Kari-Ann Wood of Thistlewood Farms blog, and she recently released a book. She's good friends with Erin Odom, who I had on a couple weeks ago, and I can see why they're friends, and I want to be friends with them too. Carrie-Anne is so amazing because she moved her family from the city and suburban life and the busyness and the craziness that a lot of us can identify with to the country, like rural Kentucky. So she talks about that progression, how she got to the place of jumping into that new lifestyle, how it's affected her parenting, how she ended up writing a book, and so much more. She's so delightful. You're going to end up wanting to move to the country to be her neighbor too. I guarantee it. So let's get to our interview with Carrie-Anne Wood. All right, I want to welcome Carrie Ann Wood. Hi, Carrie Ann. Hello, how are you doing? I'm so good. You recently had a book launch. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's been such an amazing roller coaster ride. Oh, we're going to talk more about your amazing new book. For people that may not know you, I got in contact with you via Erin Odom of The Humbled Homemaker. And right after we had our interview with her, she's like, You have to talk to my friend Carrie Ann. She is amazing <laughs> and she has the most interesting story, and you'll just love her. And so I got in contact with you, and that brings us to today. So I'm really thrilled to be having this conversation, Carrie Ann. Will you just give a little background on yourself? in your family and how you got to where you are? Yes. Um, my name is Kari Ann Wood, and I write a blog, actually, that's where this all began, called Thistlewood Farms. And the blog started about five and a half years ago, and it really chronicles the journey of my family, where we moved from Dallas, Texas, to kind of a 500-person town in the middle of Kentucky. Um, and we're in the suburbs. We're not even in the town. Wow. <laughs> In the entire county that I live in, there are no stoplights. There are a couple of blinking lights, and one is broken currently. So <laughs> so you have to, like, you're not sure, should I yield? Should I not yield? What's going on down by the main the main intersection of town? Um, but that's really our journey. We moved. We have four, I have four children, um, two boys, and then I have twin girls who actually just started high school. Wow. Um, which has been... Oh gosh, it's been that's a another roller coaster ride at the same time. But yeah, it's been an amazing journey and God has totally blessed us. That is incredible. And so you originally lived the suburban life with your children, right? When did you move to the farm? We moved here about ten years ago. Okay. And so when we moved here just as a kind of a uh, um a comparison, the twins were four when okay. we moved here. And so they were still babies and just starting out. And yes, we, we moved here really to get away from all that busy. It's when you live in a big city like that, there's just a lot of busy and a lot of noise and a lot of conflicts kind of with your time. And we just wanted to clean all that out and erase it all and just really start fresh in a place where you can walk outside and hear cows and see stars. 
That is amazing. Would you have ever dreamed that you would actually make the leap? Because a lot of us think, oh, I want to simplify <laughs> minimalism, you know, all those kind of buzzwords right now. But to actually do it and follow through and make the drastic change, what propelled you to go all the way in? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> and, and as I write about in the book, I was a big, we were definitely big talkers. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't just out of the blue. We talked about it and talked about it. I think we talked about it so much that no one really believed that we would ever do it. And one day we were sitting in a pew in church and have you ever sat there and you feel like the pastor is preaching directly to you? Uh-huh. Like he's just, he's talking right to you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and this was one of those times for sure. And I, I was trying not to listen actually, because I didn't want to be talked to. And I was redecorating the church and picking out new carpet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I decided, okay, you know what? He is trying to get my attention. God is trying to get my attention. And I listened and the sermon was called jump. Mm-hmm. And it was all about if God has put something on your heart and you feel like you should step out on faith, then God's got this. You know, he will make the path straight. Mm. And I remember looking over at my husband and, you know, grabbing his hand in that, sitting there in that pew. And he, it was like, you could tell the stars aligned. We were on the same page. God had been speaking to him too. And yeah, we, he, I mean, it's amazing kind of the journey that from that moment that brought us to where I'm sitting here talking to you now. Yeah. And how long would you say from the time you started feeling like the pace is too busy, we're not totally content with this style of raising our kids and this pace of life to the point where that sermon happened and you're like, okay, I can get on board with that if I really feel like this is the right place for my family. About how long was that? I'd say it was probably truthfully about two years. Okay. So by the time we actually jumped my family was like rolling their eyes like, oh my gosh, they really did. (laughs) (laughs) And were there naysayers? Were there people being like, oh yeah, you're crazy. Like let's be a little, you can, you can give away some of your closet and the items in your closet. (laughs) You don't need to like move to a farm and with no (laughs) stoplights. Well, and uh, no, it was actually more nice. I mean, this was the typical reaction. Like you'd tell people we were doing it and then people would, you know, they'd smile like, uh-huh, yeah. And then they'd say, wow, that, that sounds exciting. You know, you could see it in their eyes like, what are you thinking? Sure. What are you doing? But we knew, we just knew that God had paved the way and that he was going to make this an incredible journey. And sure enough, I mean, but truthfully, just between you and I, I mean, we kind of, almost closed our eyes and just jumped like we just Mm. did it and I think if we would have actually thought and planned and really kind of thought through every last little detail we probably wouldn't have jumped it would have been too scary and so when you're weighing irresponsibility of making a big life change (laughs) (laughs) and and just having faith what is the difference for you and how can a listener apply that to their own life where they're not sure if making a huge pivot either, you know, in their family life, where they live, in their job, whatever it looks like in their circumstances, but we've all been there where we've been prompted to, to pivot in some way, but yet there's some resistance, but then ultimately you just have to make the choice. How did you approach that? 
That's a great question, actually, because I think the two years prior when we were talking about it, we would go look at opportunities or business opportunities and we'd go look at towns and we would, it was like we were trying to make it happen. Mm. You know, we felt the nudge, but we were, we were trying on our own timeline to make it happen. And in that moment in the church pew, it was God making it happen. And I think that's such a great distinction because there are so many times and you'll read about them in the book, like, Oh my gosh, like I spend my life trying to make my own thing happen, you know? And sometimes you have to just let go and recognize that God is in charge. And if I would have done it on my own timeline, I don't know if it would have worked out like it did, but because we felt truthfully, I mean, it was God speaking directly to us, telling Mm. us like, I got this, like, this is what you're supposed to do. And when you trace our journey back, I mean, it was, it wasn't an easy journey. It wasn't one that was like just smooth sailing. There were definite bumps in the road and it was hard. And there were times when, you know, I'm in the middle of the country and I'm lonely and, um, I'm trying to fit in, in a place where everybody's related. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, it wasn't easy, but it definitely was God ordained. Oh, I love that. And I think sometimes there are situations in your life where you do feel like God will give you the strength to literally jump and literally about face your life. And then there's some circumstances where it does take minor tweaks to get you towards where you need to go ultimately. And it doesn't have to be that huge life change, wouldn't you say? I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. I definitely think, I mean, there are probably changes that we could have made and maybe not so drastic as packing up four kids and, you know, a dog and some salamanders (laughs) and driving across the Mississippi (laughs) River, you know? I mean, we maybe maybe could have maybe moved to a lake close by or something else like that, but this is really where we were supposed to be. And I I know that I know that I know, especially in hindsight, looking back. And so those early days you have that stark contract of parenting in the suburban world and then you move to a farm and you have little children and life looks a lot different. What were some of those major differences in how you parented and how they were in their daily life? Well, I think there's an amazing story in the book that really addresses this because, so, you know, when we moved here, my middle son was in first grade and you know, here I am, I've taken him out of, you know, everything that he's ever known. I mean, Mm -hmm. he grew up in, in the Dallas area, was surrounded by family and friends. And, you know, here we are, and now we're in a a small rural school and he comes home, you know, the first week of school and he announces to me that there is a bully in class. Mm. And I was like, Oh, whoa. And then, you know, the stories of the bully grew. I mean, it was like this mean bully and he like stole people's quarters so they couldn't get popsicles. And he pushed people off the, you know, seesaw at, at, at lunch. And I was faced with this parenting decision. What do I do? I mean, I don't know anyone here. Do I go talk to the principal? Do I, how, how do I address the bully situation? What do I do in that moment? Mm. And I, you know, it was a brand new environment. And, um, I, just kind of waited for a little bit to see. And then one day the bully stories disappeared and he never really talked about the bully. And I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. I mean, we went from all bully stories to no bully stories. What happened? And so he came home from school the next day and I thought, I'm just going to ask. And I said, Hey, Zach, his name's Zach. I said, whatever happened to, to the bully? And he's like, Oh mom, you don't even know. 
no, like that bully, he came up to me on the playground last week and his mom, his like face was red. Like he was so mad. And I thought he's going to take my quarter. He's going to take my quarter. And he said, and I had it, mom. I wasn't going to put up with it anymore. And so I turned into a T-Rex. And I, (laughs) and I took care of him and he's kind of clawing the air, you know? And I thought, wow, here he had been faced with a very challenging situation. And bullying is no joke. It's a rough, rough thing. And, you know, God had given him the tools to really handle a situation. You know, I mean, there's nothing like channeling your inner dinosaur. (laughs) Right. I think mothers have often felt like they're about to turn into a dinosaur. So perhaps he's seen it modeled, Karia. No. (laughs) Just teasing you. Yeah, I think that is that's amazing. And you might have thought moving from a big bigger population at school and things where you might face more issues like that versus you might be, you know, reverting back, you know, a couple decades to to a more simpler time and kinder children, but that wasn't yeah. the case. I mean, kids of all ages are kind of just always testing out their boundaries and how to be and not that bullying well, that, should ever be okay, um, but but teaching your child how to handle those types of situations and, and working with the bullies and hoping their parents can work with them as well to really teach them what is appropriate early on. But that must have been kind of surprising. It was, and I think, I think kind of there's another message in that story in that so many times as moms, you know, we feel kind of bullied, maybe mm. by other moms. I mm. mean, maybe you know, there's, there's so much comparison on social media and, and looking around and you're always kind of looking at your mom and your parenting style and you see, you know, perfect families where literally they're holding hands and walking off into the sunset. Right. And you know, you're scraping Cheerios off the floor. Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I think, you know, my son, like little, a little child to lead them. Like, I mean, he kind of showed me the way that standing up for what you believe is right and recognizing that you have the strength inside to face down a bully and you're amazing right where you're at. Mm. You know, I think that that's such an important lesson and one that I really took to heart from, from his story. Yeah. That's a really powerful, powerful lesson. And I love that he could kind of come to that on his own as well. I'm sure you were supporting him throughout that time but that they are empowered to realize they have the tools within them and they have the guidance within them, both from their own confidence and self-worth and then from God as well. And that's more powerful than any bully. Amen. So we've talked about there's a lot of distractions in, in our life and our society today. And so when you remove a lot of those, when you remove even stoplights, when you remove going to Target regularly, when you remove fill in the blank, whatever it is, it's kind of distracting you and you literally are just your family kind of out in the middle of nowhere, like you said. What did that do for your family and for your relationships within your own home? I think that's probably one of the biggest gifts Mm. of the jump and one that, especially looking back now, I think moving here, God gave us the gift of time. I think that, you know, when you do live in the country and you're surrounded by acres and acres and cows are your neighbors, like I'm literally looking out my window right now and, you know, there are cows and hay and (laughs) all kinds of stuff around us and your children rely on you as their kind of, 
you know, their, their source to go to for advice. And, you know, it's kind of shuts out a lot of the busy and the noise around and the bond that I have with, well, with my husband as well, it strengthened our marriage. And I also feel like it strengthened the bond with my kids because, you know, when you're in the country and there's a lot of all those distractions are, are kind of removed. Sharing that time with your kids is invaluable. And all of a sudden you become the central focus and the home becomes the central focus instead of all of the busy going Mm. on. Did you feel like at first though, before they had really come to terms with what this new life is going to look like, that you were kind of their cruise director? Did you feel like you had to step up and replace those things that were distractions previously or time sucks previously and you had to be their entertainment or were they pretty self-sufficient early on with entertaining themselves and then also, you know, just enjoying each other as a family as well? I, that's actually a, a great point. I hadn't really looked at that like that before, but I think when we moved here, um, my husband immediately fit in to the surrounding uh, county. I mean, he's a pharmacist and we bought the pharmacy in town. And so Mm -hmm. everyone immediately, you know, looked up to him and he was very busy starting the business. And um, my kids were very busy in school and um, well, the twins weren't in school yet, but they were busy in preschool and, you know, they immediately had friends. And so I was kind of the odd man out in the jump. I think Mm -hmm. I was the one probably with the biggest lifestyle change because I went from, you're right going to Target or hanging out with friends or going to lunch or doing whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the closest Target is like in Tennessee, the next state over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So how far is that? How far a drive is that for you? It's probably about an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. Um, that's so you different. really have to want to shop the dollar spot. <laughs> you should be really passionate about those little hanging doilies, right? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, so, so I think that, I think I did become the cruise director, but almost to fulfill my own loneliness Mm. rather than theirs. Like I had all these events planned for the family, but more because I was by myself and I was looking to fill that void. And so initially you're right. I mean, I joined every club. I signed us up for every available thing. I remember we went to story time at the library all the time. I mean, I filled our world with local events Mm. Not so much to entertain my children, but really (laughs) to entertain myself. (laughs) They became your friends. That's right. They became your friends. That's really interesting. And so most of the people listening right now don't live on a farm. They don't, they haven't made that huge transition and maybe they don't care to. But the common sentiment, even among people that are, remain in suburban life or city life or wherever they are, is that they feel like it's too busy. They feel like they're too distracted. They feel like they're go, go, going, and they can't keep up with the rat race. Do you think you could have stayed in the suburban life or a listener could stay where they are, stay put in their home, in their circumstances? And do you think they can cultivate that same type of mentality that is slower and more minimal and more connected within their own family? Do you think that's possible? I do a hundred percent. How do I do it? (laughs) Tell me. If we would have stayed, I probably would have made some lifestyle changes. Okay. I think that, um, and not to go all, all old school here, but I think it really starts. And this is, you know, the advice your mother and your grandmother and you know, your great grandmother would give you 
to have that family dinner time, mm. to sit down around a table and share about the day. We, we do a thing at our house where we call highs and lows, where you share your highs of the day and you share your lows of the day. And we kind of go around our whole table and everyone shares. And I think carving out time like that, mm. because if, if the world is influencing your children, in other words, if you have them signed up for so many activities and they're so busy and every minute of their day is scheduled with something, then almost the, the world, the exterior world becomes the influence instead of the family unit becoming the influence. Mm-hmm. And moving to the country, we were, we were forced almost just by location that our family unit became the influence Um, But I definitely think if we would have stayed, I would have really readjusted some things and taken a step back and reevaluated and made made, maybe limited their activities to one um, activity. I mean, I have a lot of kids, so one Mm -hmm. per child and really making sure that we did that family dinner. I think those are two actual practical things I would have done. I love that. And I think that it definitely is different for every family. And so you can't tell people you know, do this, this, and this, and then you can simplify your life in suburbia. Exactly. It, it, it really depends on what you value as a family. Maybe you do really value soccer teams and having your kids play soccer, and it's a really unifying, bonding thing. I know it is for our family. We really enjoy that time together. Um, and, yes, it does take us out of the home, but it's really unifying. Um so that matters to us. So we would keep that on the list. But there's plenty of things that we are doing very exactly. regularly and habits that we have that are just our go-tos that are not really serving us very well and could definitely, that time could be better utilized other ways, especially just having face-to-face connection and conversations and maybe even just quiet and slowness. Yes, I agree. And I also think too, one thing I noticed from you know living out here and, and being really around my kids sometimes 24-7, mm-hmm. they mimic whatever you do. So if if I'm on the computer, I mean, I'm a blogger. So obviously my job is I'm on the computer a lot and I, I've written a book. And so I'm writing on the computer and when I'm on my computer, guess what? They're on their computer. And if I, so I, I made a conscious decision, even living out here, I started reading. And so I noticed I would read a book and then they would come pick up a book and join me in the family room and they would be reading. And we'd all sit there. No one was really talking, but we were all reading instead of being on and at first, I didn't do it consciously. I just did it. And then I noticed, wait, hold on. People are, yes. everyone's coffee. <laughs> yes. And that just goes to show how much more they're watching us versus even listening to us. We can have the perfect orchestrated explanation of what they should do in a certain situation or how they should feel or think about something. But really, it comes down to how do they see us responding to certain things? How do they see exactly. us living out what we say we value? Because I heard a quote one time. You value what you spend your time doing. And I don't know about you in your previous life, but I bet there were some times where you were spending your time doing things that weren't really what you valued. I can fall into that category on social media or Netflix or, you know, doing other things that just, gosh, if I just replace that time with something else that really was soul giving and, and loving towards my children, loving towards others. Can you imagine like how amazing my life would be? And it's so simple, but we don't take advantage of that we don't act on it I do agree and I think you know as a mom of teenagers Mm. maybe some of the moms listening today are preschool moms you know Mm -hmm. and they're in the trenches and I know I get it I had six kids 
I mean, four kids under six at yes. one time, which just going to Walmart was <laughs> right, right, was an expedition. But I think now having teenagers, I think it's so important, and everyone says this, but I, I cannot emphasize it enough how quickly that time goes. Mm. And I can remember when my kids, so here I have this busy house with all these kids and everything. And like, people are literally like throwing soccer balls and messing up my home uh-huh. decor and like leaving their stinky shoes everywhere. And, and I would pray for the day that they would all be in school and like, it would be quiet and everything would be perfect. And I could pick up my house and everything would be in its place where it is. And then I'll never forget the first day the twins went to kindergarten. And so there's two of them. So I went from two kids at home to like no kids at home. And I take them to kindergarten and I come back and the house is still and no one's throwing soccer balls. There are no, um, you know, stinky socks on the floor. No one's messing up my day with, you know, breaking something or doing or telling me, oh, they forgot something or Mm -hmm. something like that. And it was it was, I thought it would be great joy. And instead it was a little bit of sadness mm. in missing that, that busy of the day. And it's almost like I would have traded some of that quiet for a few, you know, I would have given anything if there were some crushed Cheerios on the floor, wow. <laughs> given anything if somebody was tugging at my, you know, shirt or whatever. And so I think it's important no matter where you are in the mothering journey, I think it's important to treasure where you are, even if it's hard, even mm-hmm. it's overwhelming, it's there for just a season. Mm-hmm. And then that season is gone. And you want to make sure that you spend every minute being in that moment of that season. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, I have tears in my eyes. Were you reading, were you reading my mind this morning? I have three under seven right now, all little boys. <laughs> The soccer balls, the Cheerios, the Legos, that it's, we have just bags of food everywhere. And I say eat in the kitchen only, but there's bags of Cheerios under their bed. And I'm just like, what am I doing or not doing? But you're just so right that for, for every little thing that drives me bonkers in this season, those are going to be the things that I'm going to miss. And there's so many beautiful things that are happening right in front of me that if I'm focusing on the Cheerios or the Legos that I'm stepping on, which do really hurt. And so I, I'm not going to give that up, but I'm going to miss the good things. And so it really comes down to what you're looking at, right? You'll see what you're looking for. And so if you're looking for the negatives of your life or of your children, of your spouse, that's truly what you're going to see primarily but we can choose to flip that in any moment. It doesn't take, oh, okay, I'll start that on Monday. That new mentality starts Monday. It's not like a new diet. It's the next moment I see my kids, I'm going to hug them. I'm going to look them in the eye and tell them how special they are. Gosh, I'm getting emotional. Like this is, you're well, so think, right. You're so right. I, I think it is so, um, I mean, I have loved every stage of motherhood like I loved when they were babies Mm -hmm. and you know they were completely relying on you and I loved when they were toddlers and you know and you're in that crazy season where um gosh you're just like when are they gonna get in school and then and now I'm in this teenage uh world and 
I think what's amazing, I always dreaded the teenage years because, you know, everyone says, oh, my gosh, like. Here it comes, right. And I have twins, so, like, double trouble, like, wait until they get to be teenagers, you know, this ominous kind of tone in their voice, like, dun, 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 dun. And you know what's amazing? It's incredible. I love having teenagers because it's almost like you have peeps now. Like, they're funny, and they – they have their own personalities and they bring so much. I mean, there is no greater joy than hanging out with your kids and having them interact with each other and kind of kidding each other and laughing. And, you know, we have such a bond really from, from being together in the country so much and just sitting back and watching your kids all interact and laugh with each other and telling stories and, you know, and sometimes fighting and, 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 um, but it's, it's like these little people, are now becoming adults and mm. it is it is literally an incredible incredible journey. I think though it is so important to point out that you invested in them to get that relationship with them now. It doesn't just happen. They don't just start talking to you once they're teenagers if you haven't yes. talked to them all along. You they're not going to suddenly trust you when they're 16 if they didn't feel that trust and that connection with you when they were younger. And so I think that really speaks to what you have built into their lives throughout. And it doesn't mean if you have a a bad relationship with a certain child or a strained or troubled relationship right now that you can't overcome that. That That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is it does take time and investment up front to yield the fruits of having peeps when when your kids are teens. And that is a special payout. Yes. Well, and if I could give one advice, look, I'm like all about giving advice. I love it. Advice this is your next so, book. Yeah. <laughs> just call me the wise sage. <laughs> but no, I think seriously, I was thinking, I was just thinking about this when my kids were babies and they cried, you know how the cry would kind of mean something like this cry meant yes. they were sleeping and this cry meant that they were, um, tired and this cry that meant they were hungry and in even though other people could understand the cry you as a mom you knew the cry and you understood kind of what that cry meant yes and as teenagers they do the same thing it's not Mm. not necessarily a cry but they'll come in and and they're saying something but what they're saying is not really what they mean or and it's your job as a parent to listen to the cry of the teenager because Every single of my kids, I have four of them, and they're all completely different, different personalities. And if you listen and read between the lines, that's what they're trying to tell you. And I think once you've got to tune into that, those put those mom ears on mm-hmm. and tune in. And just like when you're when you have that little baby and you listened for that cry, those teenagers they'll tell you what they're really trying to. You know, maybe their feelings are hurt about something, but they don't say it. They say this instead, or you know, maybe they're upset about something at school, but they won't tell you because they'll they'll try to make a joke or do something. And if you put those mom ears on and listen, it's amazing what they're really trying to tell you. Mm. Yeah, and that takes practice. And so that's both what they're telling you with their words, what they're showing you with their bodies, how they're treating other people, all those interactions. Yeah, you really do figure out what certain things mean and when to dig a little deeper. And when you know a a surface-level response to something that shouldn't get them agitated, it really means there's something beneath the surface. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And once you can figure that out, so much of that's really the key to try to figure out teenagers is Mm. knowing what they're really saying instead of what they're actually saying wow 
Yeah, and helping them to realize too, you know, I see you responding to your brother like this, but I don't think it's actually about your brother. Is there something else? And then providing them kind of that gateway where they may not feel brave enough on their own to bring it to the surface, kind of opening that door so all they have to do is step through to kind of go there with you, knowing that you're not going to freak out, you're not going to, to react, but you're there for them. I think that's huge. Well, in, in our house, my dad did this to us when we were younger. When I, I'm the oldest of five kids, and my mm. dad would always tell – he would tell me, you're my favorite. Like, you're my favorite. <laughs> and then he'd go to my sister and he'd say, you know, he'd tell my sister, you're my favorite. You know, <laughs> And he'd say to my other sister, you're my favorite. And we all knew he was telling everybody that they were the favorite, but we thought mm. it, it with us he really meant it. You know, mm. the other ones, I mean, he just gave lip service to them. But with us yes. – you're the one. I, yeah. like, I still feel to this day, my dad is unfortunately passed away very young, but I always still feel like it doesn't matter. I feel like I was my dad's favorite. Oh, I love that. And it's the way you make yeah. them feel, you know, regardless of the words you're saying. It's how you make them feel. Yes. And, well, and now I have kids, and so I do the same thing to my kids. I tell, you know, my oldest son, like, I, you're my favorite, you know, and then uh, <laughs> and then. And they'll all like go, oh, mom. But then you can tell they think that really they are the favorite. Right. And that's beautiful. And, and I think that just thinking you're someone's favorite, it just kind of gives you a little buffer against life. It totally does. I tell my each of my sons, I'm your number one fan. I'm your number one fan. And it's true. I can be each of their number one fan. Nobody thinks they are more awesome than I do. Nobody. Un unmatched. And, and so it's kind of like that same sentiment. And they love that. And, and my middle son, Austin, and I, he's like, well, you're Parker's number one fan. I'm like, yeah, but I'm your number one fan too. And I think you're the best ever. And there's nobody that can replace you. You're the and, – and he just lights up and he believes it because I, I help him to believe that in everything else and every other interaction that we have during the day. Or I try to. <laughs> I mess up. But I think when we apologize – they can still feel like we're their, we're their number one fan or we're, they're our favorite because we're honoring that and we respect them. And so even when we mess up, if we apologize, we're still good. We're still good. Amen. Yeah. Oh, so good. So you've been blogging for a while now. How long have you been blogging at Thistlewood Farms? I've been blogging for five and a half years. Awesome. And so how did the book So Close to Amazing come to be? Well, I actually started the blog. I was going to write a decorating blog oh. and about super fancy things, and um, you know, and <laughs> in this very decoratory type voice. Uh -huh. And when I went to publish my first post, I realized um, it was all about Christmas. It was the first post was December 9th, and I was all about Christmas and you know, fancy Christmas decorating. And I realized that oh, I have forgotten my tree skirt and there are my giant plastic Walmart Christmas tree feet, like giant. And it was a wide angle lens. So like the feet are like, you know, into the picture. <laughs> and I thought, okay, wait, I cannot be trying to give other people decorating. Yeah. I can't even put a tree skirt. <laughs> I'm sure it looked beautiful, but to you, yes. <laughs> oh, oh. So I, started the blog saying, Hey, you know, my name's Karianne and I write a blog and guess what? I don't put a tree skirt under my tree. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> and that was very authentic because that is 
truly my life, you know, two steps forward, one step back sometimes. And people really responded to that. And so I, I would put, uh, cause they forgot their tree skirts too. So I would put DIY projects on. And then one day I remember I told a story on the blog. It was actually, um, uh, it's too long to go into here, but it was suffice it to say it was about pancakes that did not turn out because I, as much as I love decorating, I'm a terrible cook, like really not good. Uh-huh. And I shared the story and people were like, oh, this is, this is the most pitiful thing <laughs> in our life. But and, we can relate. Yeah. <laughs> and they could relate to it. And so I just started writing stories. That was kind of my thing. So oh. I just started writing story after story and um, mixed with decorating, mixed with projects and kind of, I always wanted to write a book, but it was, it seemed very overwhelming. Like I couldn't do it. And then one day my oldest son for Christmas took all the stories from my blog and put them into a book no. like from Shutterfly, I think. He must be and, your favorite. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He's the true favorite, and, yes. Wow. Well, and he handed me this, and I realized, wait, I, I, wrote a book. I wrote a book. And it gave me the courage to you know, approach an agent and then the agent pitched me to different publishers. And then I connected with Tyndale, who is seriously my heart. They are the best publisher on the entire planet. And then so close to amazing was born. Wow. And so what is it about? Who is this written for? Oh, this is written for anybody, um, actually who's like me, because Mm. there are days when I am, literally so amazing like it would make your head spin like I'm that great okay and then (laughs) and then then there are days when oh like when I showed up to sign the book contract and brought two completely different tennis shoes like a right at least it was a right and a left all right yeah or like the time I spoke at a conference and after it was over I tripped and slid all the way down the hill no like Yes, it was oh, at Becoming, and I literally slid all the way down to the hill and got up at the bottom and tried to act like I that I meant to do it. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, you and did. And I look up there, and there's people gathered on the balcony, and they're all like. Oh. <laughs> but you owned it. You owned it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I stood up and bowed, I think. But, um, <laughs> but so that's, that's who this book is really written for. It's written for the person that, you know, is – they wake up every day and they're trying and they're trying to put one foot in front of the other and the road ahead looks kind of scary sometimes and overwhelming and they feel they're so imperfect and they wonder, is anyone else imperfect like me? Mm. And I thought, I'm going to go first. I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to tell all my imperfect moments and keeping it real and being authentic and sharing some of the struggles in my life, like with my weight and, um, you know, trying to fit in into a, a new town and, and all of that. And I thought if I share my story, maybe it will give someone else the courage to share theirs. Oh, I love that so much. You're my kindred spirit. This is amazing. (laughs) This is so great. And what I love is that sometimes people, including myself, we get stuck with language where we're always feeling like we're only close to amazing. We're only, yes. we're, we're, but we're mostly messing up. Like we're doing okay, but we're still not good at this or that or the other thing. I love that you also are acknowledging there are some days 
where it was just your day. You just <laughs> rocked it. You were just amazing. And it doesn't mean that you are boastful or arrogant or annoying. It means that you're allowed to feel good about yourself. And Amen. you are also allowed to recognize you can feel good about yourself without being perfect. And that's what Extraordinary Moms is about. It's not about perfection in motherhood. It's not about people doing exactly right and you should do it just like them. It's about mothers everywhere doing it their own way, but doing it according to the needs of their family and, and messing up but learning from it. And that, oh, it's just so such a match for so close to amazing. I want everyone to get it. This is so great. <laughs> well, and two, I think, I think you have hit on, you've hit on kind of the challenge that so many of us face. And it's almost like the book gives you permission to recognize that even though there are days when you are so close, mm. we all, there's something that we're all amazing at. There is something that we all do that in our hearts when we do it, whether it's, whether it's have an amazing mother day, whether it's being a great listener, whether it's being an amazing daughter, whether it's, you know, making the best apple pie, you know, in five counties, I mean, Mm -hmm. whatever our amazing is. And I think we're taught sometimes or life tries to teach us not to celebrate that, to be, you know, it's all about being humble and, you know, not really um, celebrating it. And this book, it's like, it gives you permission to celebrate that there are days when you're amazing and there are days when you're an amazing, extraordinary mom. Mm. And to be able to celebrate that is, is a joy. And I think it honors God when we celebrate that because God designed us, you know, in his image, he designed us and gave us talents and gifts. And when we hide those and we diminish them and demean them and don't celebrate them, you know, I think we're, 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 giving God a little bit of a short, short shrift, you know? Absolutely. And I think the same can be said for trying to duplicate your life after somebody else's. And so when you're trying to do it just like somebody else, because you see them doing it really well, and they could be doing it really well for them, but we don't have to do it just like them. And so I heard somewhere where somebody says, if you're not showing up as you, no one will ever hear from you. No one will ever hear your voice. No one will ever receive your talents because you're, trying too hard to mimic somebody else's life and that's not authentically you so really just resting in who you are what your talents are and even what your weaknesses are it's all meant to be a part of the tapestry of the world and of your people and of your tribe and of your family and so we shouldn't be ashamed by that yes we should always be working to be a little bit better a little bit kinder to learn from our mistakes but that's not to say that you're not also good enough right now Amen. There's a quote, there's a quote from the book that I wrote that says the me of today is so much better than the me of tomorrow. Mm. That sometimes we're so busy living for tomorrow yeah, and that we are like, I'm going to be better tomorrow. I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And the me that you are in this moment today should Mm. be celebrated. Oh, yeah. Not what you're going to be, not what you are hoping to be. Because it's kind of like, have you ever looked back at a picture of yourself like that was taken, you know, in high school when you thought, oh, I had yes. terrible hair or I, oh, those jeans made me look fat, like I wasn't cute. But, and you look back and you look like like a supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> You'd give anything for that hot bod, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. And you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yes, yes. 
And so I think there's such a lesson in that. It's like we're always living for tomorrow. And not that tomorrow we can't change and be better and try harder. But let's just pause and celebrate the me that is here and the mom that is here right now Mm. in this moment. And you know what? It takes very small actions during the day. Like whenever my kids come up to me and say, hey, will you pitch a baseball to me in the yard? Or will you come read with me? Or will you do this? Sometimes I'm inclined to say no. Like it doesn't sound that desirable to me. But whenever (laughs) I say yes, even if I've kind of been an average mom throughout the rest of the day, the second I say yes to one of their requests that really builds that connection with them, it kind of negates the whole rest of the day where I felt average because they are loving it. I'm giving them what they wanted. And it just, even if it's just 10 minutes, I feel like a super mom and I feel so much closer to amazing than if I just said no and kept doing whatever unimportant thing I was doing before. And so I think it's really important to recognize you can change it on its head, like in, in, a, in an instant. Exactly. If you're feeling crummy, All it takes is one phone call to somebody who might be in need, who might need some encouragement, or you might just need to check in with them, or dropping one plate of cookies off at somebody's house, or playing baseball in the yard. It just takes one small event or change to really change the way you think about yourself and the whole trajectory of your day, even. Exactly. 100%. Karianne, everyone's going to love you. I'm so glad to know you now. And I hope people will head right over to your blog. They can find you at thistlewoodfarms.com for your blog. And then they can go pick up So Close to Amazing at wherever bookstores are sold. On Amazon, on Walmart, Target, wherever. And I'm just so proud of you. What a wonderful accomplishment that you have this book coming to light. I know it's going to resonate with so, so many people. So thank you for writing these words. We're going to jump into our final question. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? I would tell my pre-motherhood self to buckle her seatbelt. <laughs> I, think, I think that she is going to be in for the journey of a lifetime, a journey that will change her, a journey that will change her heart, that will make life all the more worth the living. Um, and I would say buckle up and get ready because it's going to be a joyful ride. Oh, I love that. I love that. Because just because it's bumpy doesn't mean it's not worth where you're going, right? Amen. I love it. I am so glad to know you. This conversation was such a joy. Thank you for being on the podcast today and for sharing your story. And I hope everyone will pick up your book. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Have the most wonderful day. You too as well. Thanks. See, I told you you'd want to move to the country. Now you think you could do it, right? No stoplights, no problem. (laughs) Thanks, Karianne, for being on the show today. What a joy it was to get to speak with you. And she is so nice. After we finished recording, she said, hey, do you think your audience would want to win a book? And I said, yeah, they would. So if you head over to my Instagram at jessicadalquist 3 you can find out all the information about how to win one of Karianne's books, So Close to Amazing. It's going to run, today is September 19th. This is a giveaway It's going to run for 48 hours. I'm going to pick the winner on September 21st at noon Pacific time. All you have to do is enter by tagging a friend that you think is amazing and tell them what makes them so amazing. Tag that on my Instagram post. And if you leave a comment, you're entered to win one of Karianne's books and we'll announce the winner on Thursday. Oh, so follow me and follow Karianne at Thistlewood. 
T-H-I-S-T-L-E wood, all one word, Thistlewood. So if you follow both of us, then you're entered to win um, if you tag a friend. So that's awesome. Like I said, you can follow me at Jessica Dahlquist 3. You can find out all the information about the podcast, this episode, past episodes, see pictures of Carianne, links to where you can buy her book on ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. And if you share the podcast with a friend lately, thank you so much. We are having new friends joining every day, and it is just so heartwarming to know that moms who are needing to hear these encouraging stories are hearing them. So thank you, thank you for sharing and for leaving reviews. This coming Friday, we have an awesome episode with Alyssa Johnston. She is a children's book author, so we're going to talk about how she became an author, what that process is like. So in case you've ever wondered about writing a book, we're going to kind of go behind the scenes on what that looks like for her, her experience, and what her book is about and why she wrote it. Really interesting episode that I know you're just going to love. So thanks for tuning into the podcast today, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.